It's Friday, August 6, 2021. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies Podcast. I'm Josh Wallerson. Of the more than 2,000 plant species native to Pennsylvania, over 300 are classified as rare, threatened, or endangered. Most can be found within wild plant sanctuaries scattered across the state, mostly on lands managed by the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, although a few are also located on private property. In either case, DCNR keeps a close watch on these habitats, studying plant populations and developing forest management techniques to protect them. Now, you can't visit a wild plant sanctuary. Their locations are kept secret in order to deter illegal poaching. But on this episode, we have the next best thing, a conversation with one of DCNR's plant experts who will tell us more about the program and why it's an important part of the agency's plans for dealing with the impacts of climate change. That's coming up on this episode right after this news update. Revenues from the lease of state lands for oil and gas operations can't be used to plug gaps in the state budget. That's according to a July decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The ruling, based on a reading of Pennsylvania's Environmental Rights Amendment, strikes down a Commonwealth Court decision from last year, permitting transfer of lease monies to the general fund in the 2009-2010 state budget. It reaffirms a previous Supreme Court decision from 2017 regarding the use of royalties collected from drilling in state forests. Since 2008, the state has collected more than $1.2 billion in rents, fees, and bonuses from state forest leases. Governor Tom Wolf indefinitely halted the issuance of new leases in 2015. Article 1, Section 27, better known as the Environmental Rights Amendment, was added to the Pennsylvania Constitution in 1971. It affirms that public natural resources are the common property of all Pennsylvanians and charges the state government with their conservation and maintenance. Pennsylvania would be among the biggest winners under a proposed federal clean electricity standard, according to a study of projected public health impacts from reduced air pollution. Researchers at Harvard and Syracuse looked at how the Biden administration's emission reduction targets might shake out across the country, focusing on regions most affected by air quality problems. They estimated that nearly 600 fewer Pennsylvanians would die prematurely in the year 2030 if the targets are met. That's more than in all but two other states. Allegheny County was also high on the list of U.S. counties that would benefit the most from cleaner air, ranking third in the nation with an estimated 87 premature deaths avoided in 2030. The clean electricity standard is part of the White House's proposal to cut power sector emissions 80 percent by 2030. The Syracuse and Harvard study examined premature deaths from asthma, heart attacks, respiratory illness, and other conditions linked to fine particulates and ozone. Without action, researchers project those illnesses will cost the U.S. $1.3 trillion over 30 years. That's not counting the economic cost of illnesses and deaths associated with volatile organic compounds or with direct climate impacts such as heat and severe weather. 2020 was a big year for outdoor recreation in Pennsylvania, and advocates want to keep the momentum going. That will require new funding for trails, which saw unprecedented use during the pandemic, according to a number of studies, including two published by PEC. It'll also mean investing in state, county, and municipal parks, which also recorded huge numbers last year. Last month, the mayors of Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and 17 other Pennsylvania cities signed a letter to Pennsylvania's congressional delegation urging them to pass the Federal Parks, Jobs, and Equity Act. 
That legislation targets historically underserved communities with funding to create or improve more than 1,000 local parks nationwide. The $500 million funding package is part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill currently being negotiated in the U.S. Senate. State wildlife officials are hoping newly adopted conservation measures will help slow the decline of threatened and endangered bat populations across Pennsylvania. The decision, announced by the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, restricts harvesting of firewood from certain areas within state forests where the animals live. Standing dead trees provide critical habitat for bats coming out of hibernation and raising their young. According to DCNR, a single bat can eat up to a thousand mosquitoes per hour, while pregnant or nursing females can consume their body weight in insects during a single night's feeding. This summer, the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources designated 35 new wild plant sanctuaries in state forests. Hidden in undisclosed locations all over the Commonwealth, these sites provide a living laboratory for DCNR researchers and foresters as they work to better understand and protect Pennsylvania's wealth of biodiversity. As Peck's Lily Jones learned, that work will become ever more important as the effects of climate change become more pronounced. Here's Lily's conversation with Pennsylvania DCNR Ecological Program Specialist Andrew Rohrbach. So thank you again for joining us on Pennsylvania Legacies. So if you could start off by explaining your role at DCNR and what kinds of programs you work on, that would be awesome. Yep, uh, happy to be here. Um, and so my name is Andrew Rohrbach and I work for the Bureau of Forestry for Pennsylvania under the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. And I work as an ecological program specialist, which is a long-winded title. Um, essentially, I am an ecologist uh, and or botanist, um, one of six people who are ecologists and, and botanists or biologists for um, the Bureau of Forestry. Um, and uh, my role for the state is to help manage our, I believe we're up to 2.2 million acres of state forest land. And we are also the jurisdictional agency for native wild plants uh, across the state on public and private lands. So um, my role there is to help set up um, the policies and um, manage how we're, how we're running that program reaching out to private landowners, uh, coming up with new regulations and um, what, whatever rankings we think some of the, the native wild plants should be in terms of their rarity status. Um, that's uh, pretty much my job in a nutshell. Um, probably a lot more I could get into there. <laughs> Seems like I'm very busy because um, most recently, um, you know, we're dealing a lot with invasive plants, uh, even though that's not necessarily under our jurisdictional um, prioritization, you know, here in, in Pennsylvania, um, we don't have uh, jurisdiction over that across private lands, but invasive plants impact our native wild plants. So we have to deal with that um, across the state on our lands where we are, you know, the landowner and invasive plants are huge issues. So I deal a lot with that. Um, and of course, climate change is an issue that is just kind of looming a little bit larger in everyone's um, 
thoughts, particularly a year like this year. Um, I'm paying attention to the news, so I've been trying to help out with that program for our bureau in terms of how we are going to adapt for climate change and also mitigate for climate change. I guess the the invasives are kind of a good segue into more of a larger discussion about climate because I know that as climate change gets worse, the threat of invasive species harming our local ecosystems also potentially increases. Um, so would you want to talk a little bit about invasive species management? Um, yeah, definitely. So um, for uh, we are not the jurisdictional agency for um, invasive plants across the state, but the Bureau of Forestry and the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources um, actually plays a role working with the Department of Agriculture, working with the other agencies as the um, Governor's Invasive Species Council. Um, we are a member of that and we help to try to guide the policies and um, practices across the state dealing with uh, invasive um, plants and um, it's just a, an issue that obviously just gets worse and worse um, both between existing species that are here in the state and we know are, are huge problems like barberry or mile a minute or stilgrass um, species that are continuing to come in um, from shipping or landscaping practices or anything like that um, which are just maybe just getting started in the state or you know haven't had a chance to have the huge impacts. Um, and then we also have species that are just to the south of us that we know as the climate warms are probably going to become a bigger issue here in Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm thinking about things like um, giant reed or um, Kogan grass is one that really stands out as a, as a huge, uh, horrible invader in the southeast and uh, a few other species that are more common in the Southeast, like uh, kudzu, um, which has not been as huge of an issue here in Pennsylvania as what it is in, in you know, I went down to the Smokies a couple of years ago. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna say it ate the South, but it's definitely a very aggressive species in a lot of areas. Um, so that's kind of what we're thinking about in terms of we, we deal with that on our lands and we try to help across the state um, because those impact our wild plants that we care about. Um, and you know, even if it's not always like a, hey, this, this invasive is directly, you know, killing off a, a rare native plant, it just, they take up more and more and more of that ecological space um, in our communities and change our communities. And, you know, it's just one more kind of nail in the coffin for a lot of our rare plant species. And of course, like I said, the climate change, we're expecting that to get worse. How else does the threat or current realities of climate change come into play in your work when you're thinking about planning and making policies for the various programs that you work on? So there's a lot that's just kind of, um, uh, you know, a lot of different threats to our um, particularly native wild plants and rare plants that we deal with. Um, so I think this conversation kind of grew out of our discussion about wild plant sanctuaries in Pennsylvania, um, places that we have set aside to really focus on the management of some of those rare plant species and communities. Um, and so we, we know that we have so many different threats um, and, and changes in our landscape um, that those species haven't yet necessarily had the time or the ability to adapt to. Um, 
And so when I'm looking at a lot of these places, rare plant species, I'm thinking about some of those changes where, you know, we've had changes in how we use the landscape. You know, the entire state was, was deforested practically at the turn of the century, wildfires. And then we went the opposite way with wildfires where we were suppressing fires. Um, so changes in kind of the uh, succession regimes, the, the, the changes in the landscape and would naturally take place. Um, we've had invasive species move in, both plants and diseases and insects, like the emerald ash borer, um, silver ash trees. Um, we have uh, even thinking about kind of longer term changes, like we no longer have the number of beaver in the state creating kind of ecological changes. You know, they were keystone species that created those dams, flooded large areas, created wetlands. When those oh, would, I never knew that. Yeah, and when those they would- They were so important. Yeah, when those would wash out, you know, they would create open meadow areas for other plant species and animal species. And, and we even had, you know, a lot more megafauna coming through where if there was an open area, they would maintain that open area with browse. Um, and so there were a lot of different species that, you know, had vastly different changes in how our ecosystems functioned. And then we came in and we did all kinds of other things. Um, and now we're still dealing with things like too many white-tailed deer in our state forests and, and across the state. Um, and we're dealing with, uh, you know, obviously habitat fragmentation and loss through development. So, you know, there's so many different factors there that are threats to our plant species here in the state. Um, and climate change is just one more that's almost like a little bit of like, we're not sure how it's playing out. But we have a pretty, pretty good idea of, you know, we're going to have more disturbance and more stress on our forests and ecosystems. And that in itself is going to exacerbate some things like, you know, if you have disturbance because of a drought or a wildfire or a flood event, you're opening up more habitat. And it might not be that that climate change related impact has damaged the ecosystem fundamentally or changed the plant species composition. Um, but it's opened up a disturbance where now we have all these invasives that can move in and take over that, dis that disturbed area much faster than some of our native plant species. Or, you know, maybe they're not even that bad, but we have too many white-tailed deer in an area. They're gonna come in, they're gonna preferentially browse some of our rare plant species, you know, and even help those invasive plant species outcompete our native species further. So it's one of those things where it's, um, it's like a multiplier effect where it might, might cause direct impacts to some of our plant species, but it might also just exacerbate um, some, of, some of those other threats. Um, and so, you know, we're not really quite sure how some of that's gonna go. Um, and so we're really just trying to learn a lot more about our rare plant species, particularly in the state, because we have so many, you know, as my long-winded spiel here has gone on, you know, we have so many different factors in an ecosystem working together. And we have so many unanswered questions about a lot of these species that it's hard to hard to always know exactly right what the right thing to do is, even in our current like static framework, much less, you know, changing as, as the climate changes and you know, we have unknown impacts from that. Another way that I think about this um, potentially impacting some of our rare plant species is um, 
The other day I was actually looking at a rare plant species, um, one of our um, Gudiera species, uh, Gudiera tessellata, the, um, I'm blanking on the common name right now, but one of our uh, orchid species. And we found them growing in, you know, pine habitats, like um, that's not a species that I specialize in. I was just lucky enough to go check out a couple of these populations with some of my coworkers. And, and we're worried about the impact of once you get too much drought or, or too much precipitation, what is the impact on those pines? And then what's the impact on orchids? Um, and, and of course, as we're going through some of these areas, we're watching stiltgrass along roadsides that could be moving into any disturbance in those pine stands. Um, so another place I was at last week, we have a rare plant species called white monk's hood. Um, and that population that I was looking at, it prefers uh, seeps and low-lying areas along streams in Pennsylvania. And of course, that's the kind of thing where if we do get heavy flooding events in those low-lying areas, you know, what, what could be the long-term impact of that? Could that actually damage the plant? Um, it could possibly even open up more habitat for the species. You know, we're really not sure. Um, you know, so in those instances, we're kind of keeping an eye on things. Um, we're trying to protect them from the known impacts like deer browse um, and invasive species. But we're really just, we're, we're trying to do the best we can to manage for the threats we know and keep an eye on those future threats that might be exacerbated by climate change. Right, it, it seems like you kind of have to take like a whole system approach for your planning. Um, so how do you prioritize when there's so much going on and it seems like kind of threats from all sides a little bit? Yeah, it very much is. Um, luckily, uh, I work with um, in our National Heritage Program for the state um, a, a whole, whole crew of um, very talented, far more talented than myself and, and hardworking people who are very motivated. Um, so we have a lot of different botanists who are working to do updates, inventories of a lot of our natural areas and make sure we know where all these different populations, rare plant species are. And they're working to do research to try to answer some of these unknown questions um, and help us do better management. And then when we do actually go into an area and we, we I also, I should, I should say before we even go into an area, you know, we have folks that one of their main jobs is simply to try to take a look at development that's taking place on private lands and other public lands and try to um, review those projects to make sure they're not directly impacting some of our rare plant species populations and try to mitigate any impacts there and avoid them whenever possible. Um, and then, so when we do go in to actually have to actively manage the site or think that, hey, this, this species is either isn't looking too good at this site or we think we can make it better. Um, now we're starting to try to prioritize things by, you know, it, it's almost a twofold approach. One is where do we have the opportunity to work um, and, and make a make headway? And another is what are some of those really rare plant species that are either globally rare or that we feel Pennsylvania has a, a responsibility to try and protect um, as like a, a main bulk of population for those species. So we're really trying to prioritize things based on kind of those two avenues. Um, and, and a lot of it also is just seeing who, who out there wants to work with us, you know, different researchers might have an interest in certain species. 
or, or someone might take a, an interest in protecting a certain site. And so those are just opportunities that we really need to, to take advantage of when they, when they pop up. Um, and when it comes to the actual management, you know, it's, it varies so much species to species, but we do kind of have a little bit of a, um, a process at this point where we're kind of looking at, okay, what are the known threats that we've got? Okay, invasives. When we go into a site, we know we have to do an invasive inventory and make sure that we're controlling those. We know deer browse is oftentimes an impact for a lot of our different plant species. So we have to go in and make sure that, you know, okay, look for signs of deer browse, look for signs of deer pressure in the area, and maybe caging is or isn't necessary for these rare plants. But frankly, it generally doesn't hurt <laughs> to try to make sure that you're protecting them from deer browse before you do a lot of other management. Um, it doesn't make sense to go in and deal with a lot of invasives or bring some fire back on a landscape or something and open up the site just to have deer come in for a, a, a new smorgasbord that maybe they hadn't noticed before. Um, so that's kind of the, the process we start working through with in general, but it does vary so much by species to species. So. Yeah. Are there plants that aren't threatened now that you're worrying about or planning for? Um, or I guess, this is a totally different question potentially, but um, are there rare plants from other states that you're planning for as they like potentially move into the state as the ecosystems are shifting as you kind of talked about that with the temperatures? Yeah, yeah, there, that, that, is, that is almost two different questions, but it, it, does, um, it does come back to um, we are, our state rank is based on the number of populations that occur in Pennsylvania. Um, and so that does lead to some um, different different rank choices from what like a global perspective might be. Um, and some of that, like I said, comes down to what our like responsibility in Pennsylvania is. Like if we have the bulk of the plant population. It might be really relatively common here, but we still have to really think about that. Um, we are definitely dealing with some species that we suspect are more likely to move north uh, in the future. Um, we recently found populations of um, Frazier's magnolia um, in Pennsylvania, which um, is a species that likely its habitat will continue to move north. Um, and so we kind of have to try to figure out how we're dealing with some of the species that might be newer in Pennsylvania or moving into Pennsylvania. You know, would they automatically be listed as endangered because there's not many populations? Um, and we're trying to figure out how, how we could maybe consider um, assisting some of those plant species as they move into the state. And then on kind of particularly the northern edge of the state, obviously, but not necessarily just in the north. Um, we have a lot of more northern, what you might think of as like northern or higher elevation plant species that we certainly have concerns with as the temperature rises. Um, a lot of those plant species are associated with um, bogs, peatland bogs and whatnot. Um, so obviously drought or flooding events are, are a concern and, and rising temperatures. So. The question is kind of how are we looking at those plant species as their potential for range in Pennsylvania shrinks? Um, and, and to be honest, I, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure I've heard anyone come up with particularly great answers for how to deal with some of those questions yet. Um, it's just so very new and we have so much on our plates, uh, so many different rare plant species that um, we're, we're trying to work through policy questions on some of those still. So one thing that I will say is that um, 
we do have, there is a climate change uh, vulnerability index for some of our plant species, um, which is an analysis that um, we, we and, and our natural heritage program our partners, the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy have run um, for a lot of our, should say a lot, for some of our plant species, they have run that analysis to try to figure out which species are gonna be more vulnerable in the future. Um, and certainly we're, we're trying to make sure that we're doing the best we can conserving the places where we know there are rare plant species and trying to look towards um, conservation corridors, migration corridors in the future for some of our plant species. So, Are there any, I, this is sort of shifting gears a little bit, but do you have any um, great success stories with certain rare plants or um, I don't know if you're, if the program might be too new to sort of say that yet. I, I think we definitely have instances where um, we've, it, it is a little, it was a little early um, in terms of active management um, for some of our plant species. Um, but I will say that first of all, uh, the first kind of step we took in the process of conserving our rare plant species was doing the inventory work um, and figuring out what we have in Pennsylvania, figuring out where it is, um, and doing actually uh, the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy and other conservation groups did natural heritage inventories in different counties. Um, and finding, getting all that information, that inventory work um, together is just, that was a massive success. Um, and then having all that information in a GIS database where then we can work to try to preserve those species points, um, you know, not have someone build a new road right through the population or something like that. Um, you know, that, that I think is, is a tremendous success. Um, and, and I was involved in environmental review across the state uh, for years and uh, very proud of that, the job that everyone is doing with that inventory and that environmental review. Um, and so the active management side of things is, is a little bit newer and we're still working through a lot of, you know, early stages there. I would say some of our greatest successes there, um, there, there are people working on some of the um, serpentine barrens in the southeastern part of our state uh, where, you know, that was an area where fire was at a very important part of the landscape and maintaining a lot of very rare endemic plant species and animal species down in, in, that, in that area. And um, there's a lot of different work that's going on with some of our districts, forest districts in that area, uh, conservation groups, volunteers, other partners to try to manage those areas and bring fire back on the landscape. Um, and I think that's been a tremendous success. Um, just a, a lot of smaller areas where we're looking at um, some of our rare plant species and trying to bring in other groups and other volunteers and tie folks together um, and try to do a better job kind of updating some of those populations, protecting them from deer um, and starting to do things like seed collection and protecting that seed offsite, learn more about germinating, growing that seed so that maybe the next round of things would be trying to plant populations back out um, and that's fraught with a whole whole different level of policy questions and concerns in terms of, you know, 
what kind of changes do you bring about by growing something off-site and then transplanting it back out? You know, how much work is that transplanting taking versus success rate for different species? Um, you know, concerns about starting new populations or mixing genetics. You know, there's just so many different questions for so many of these different species that are all a little bit different um, that you can't necessarily make a general statement a lot of that so you know i'd say we definitely have a lot of success um, in our program and the active management side of things is pretty new um, and it's bringing a lot of new questions um, but i i actually am very proud of the work we've done in different areas to try and you know protect from those threats we're aware of like invasives and deer browns opening up light availability for some of our species where it doesn't take much just going out and knocking down a tree or two or trimming back a couple of uh, you know, saplings for an afternoon. And you really see some of these species respond quite quickly. That's great. Um, well, I, I think that would be a nice high note to end our interview on, um, unless you have anything else you would like to add that you think people should know about um, your work or the program. Oh, I, there's so much, so much information that I'd, I'd love people to know about um, ecology in Pennsylvania and protecting our wild plants in Pennsylvania. Um, if I, if I were just to end on one note, take a look at your property and, and, and any property that you happen to manage, take some time, figure out how you can increase the number of native plants on your property. Um, and how you can manage some of the invasive plants on your property. Um, because, you know, I, I, I hearken back to some of Doug Tallamy's work um, where he's looking at, you know, how much of a benefit to our native ecosystems and native plants, you know, that kind of land owner's work uh, can really bring about if we all just did a little bit in that area. You know, decrease the amount of lawn that you mow, increase the number of native pollinators, and flowering, fruiting, uh, trees and shrubs. Um, and that will play a huge role for our ecosystems, um, provide less habitat for invasive plants to take over new areas. Um, but yeah, as a program, I think we're really trying to maximize our effort. But for anyone listening to this, I think that's one way you can help outright um, and even reach out to some of your local county conservation districts or local um, conservation organizations to see if there's some way that you can volunteer to help us protect the rare plant populations that might be in your area. Andrew Rohrbach is a botanist with the DCNR Bureau of Forestry. You can learn more about wild plant sanctuaries via the link in the episode description for this podcast. You can find it at PECPA.org, P-E-C-P-A.org, along with all of our past episodes and much more information on PEC's work in communities and landscapes, watersheds, energy and climate, trails and outdoor recreation. You can get caught up on our policy advocacy work as well. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Look for us on Twitter at P-E-C-P-A. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more Pennsylvania Legacies conversations. Hope you can join us then. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council and Lily Jones, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. <laughs>